You're listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and I'm here with Dahlia Schweitzer, the author of Going Viral, Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World. Welcome to the show, Dahlia. Thank you. It is such an honor to finally be participating and not just listening. <laughs> well, it's good to have you here. Um, uh, according to a tweet of yours, you spent four years working on this book, researching outbreaks in both fact and fiction. How many panic attacks did that induce? That's my first question for you. <laughs> you know what's interesting is much like the state of anxiety in America following 9-11, uh-huh. it just ended up becoming this sort of low-grade panic attack. So it was like just this kind of constant tension, like when I get on an elevator and someone touches the elevator <laughs> button with their fingers and I'm like kind of horrified. So it's just constant low-level tension. Are they supposed to use their elbows? Yes, of course. Don't touch. And then, and then, water fountains. They say that like water fountains have more germs than toilet seats. Ugh. So, like now, I can't use a water fountain. Yeah, it's it's it definitely has screwed me up. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I actually you know page through the book. I saw a few references to the X Files episode F Emasculata, which has yes. scarred me personally. <laughs> scarred you in what way? I'm curious. Oh well, huge seeping boils on my face. Of course, no, no. <laughs> Um, That's like the best part. <laughs> yeah. Well, to let to let the listeners know, it's an X Files episode where uh, disease is transferred by these huge boils on these escaped prisoners' faces, and the boils like like all it's of a rough. sudden explode on other people. <laughs> yeah, it's really nasty. It's really nasty, and I I teach a class. It's based on the book. It's called Going Viral, and I show that episode every time I teach the class. Oh, yeah. And it's always so fun because I know what's going to happen. I've seen it so many times, and I and the students always like, oh yeah, I just just on cue. <laughs> uh, but no, it's fantastic, and I think I I actually like looked online to see like who was the special effects guy and how did they do that, and it was somehow like it was like battery operated, whatever Ooh. it like. The story is really interesting if anyone's like nerdy enough that they can go and they can look. I can't remember the specifics, but mm. yeah, I love that episode. <laughs> um, so in writing this book, you become well-versed in stories about the undead. So uh, give it to me straight. How close are we to the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> well, what's actually interesting is the reading the book has actually made me more kind of skeptical and more of like kind of like not not a conspiracy theorist, but just mm-hmm. I now trust the government less than I did four years ago. <laughs> so I feel like it's weird. I, it's, I feel like we're not there's no zombie apocalypse. Just like I'm like I'm, I, and I'm not like I'm definitely pro vaccine. Mm-hmm. But anytime the government is like so gung ho about something that's supposedly for my own good. <laughs> now I'm skeptical. <laughs> Because I'm always like, well, what's the nefarious agenda behind this? Um, so that's been the biggest impact. Um, although watching real life play out since the presidential election mm-hmm. has been really kind of interesting because it's like, oh, my God, how much can we gut social services before there is some kind of, you know, apocalyptic whatever? And then obviously, you know, five years ago, I didn't think we'd be worried about nuclear bombs. And now nuclear <sighs> bombs are in the news. Yeah, that's so 80s. So it's <laughs> It's so 
know, 50. Oh, yeah. Like, what is happening? Um, But but Russia is not our enemy. Russia is our enemy, but Russia is not our enemy. Uh, So it's all very confusing. But it's it's more relevant than ever before, I think, since the election. Right. So you're saying it's it's just any time now, then? (laughs) I feel like it's not going to be zombies that Uh take everything away. It's going to be... I don't want to get in trouble because I don't know what demographic your listeners are, but it's going to be um, sort of greedy capitalists uh, okay. that cause the problems, not the zombies. And that's what I think is really interesting about a lot of these zombie narratives where the message they keep hitting home is the problem isn't the zombies, it's the humans. Right. And I think that's remarkably apt for sort of what we're living through right now. Well, all the greedy capitalists just tuned out, so I guess we lost that, but it's no big loss. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, I, I was thinking about, you know, when you said about trusting the government and how that kind of relates to iZombie, like they were passing mm-hmm. out a vaccine for a, a, the illusion oh flu. Oh, my God. And yes. they somehow then, in, well, not somehow, but Fillmore Graves put zombie blood into the vaccines and then infected the right. populace. Yeah. And I saw that and I was just like, oh, my God. Like when that, that plot <laughs> twist happened, I did not see that coming. Wow. Uh, but the, the question that I did have, and this is what I was trying, like I looked on Wikipedia to see if I could find and I could understand it. So where did the original virus come from? Was the original virus spread so that people would need the vaccine? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, the series. That's of- what I couldn't figure out. Yeah. The series kind of originates with the boat party massacre on Lake Washington, and it seemed that that was a mix of tainted utopium and Max Ranger. Right, right, right. right. No, no, that I that I understood. I just meant the recent the flu that's killing people. Oh, the Aleutian was, flu. Yeah, was that is that a real flu that just happened to spread, or was that spread intentionally? Because remember, what, there was the whole thing with like the citronella collar and the dog. <laughs> yeah, so I was so sick. So, was it the dog that did that? So I just wasn't clear if the flu was spread on purpose, and if so, why? And was it spread on purpose because then it would force people to get the vaccine? That, yeah. That's what I, I didn't understand that. Plot I believe point. that was the whole conspiracy within Fillmore Graves that was started by Carrie Gold. Um, every, okay. You know, Fillmore Graves wanted to move everybody to Zombie Island, but Carrie Gold right. was thinking, oh, they're just going to nuke Zombie nuke Island. So right. let's make it here. And, you know, it's more confusing that way for, for the government to deal with. So yeah, I think, I think, uh, the illusion flu, uh, was spread through the, with the dog collar to kind of accelerate things because they just mm-hmm. wanted to quietly move to zombie Island. But, um, the illusion flu made everybody need to take vaccines and then the vaccines were infected by Got it. Know, okay. corrupted Fillmore grave soldiers. So, cause in a, in a traditional outbreak narrative, it would have been the flu that turned people into zombies. Right. So it was weird that they had this like this extra level of complexity. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder what this is about. I love how this show just twists everything. Like everything yeah, you know about zombies or like you said, the outbreak narrative. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love this show is that it keeps it. Yeah, it, keep, it keeps this narrative, which is, you know, kind of traditional and sort of like check, check, check. And mm-hmm. it just keeps turning it upside down and turning it upside down. And it's like, oh, my God, what are they doing now? Wow, that is so interesting. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. Um, 
when the zombie racist in the <laughs> season yeah. premiere wished zombies had infected New England. Since I yeah. live in New England, I instinctively yep. thought to myself, "Oh, bring it on!" Because, but that's like right, right. It's really strange because I have a, you know I have kids in a family. Why? Why do you think as a society that we fantasize about what you call in your book the post-apocalypse narrative? Well, this is that, that's like the million-dollar question, mm. um, and it's interesting because when I first started putting together the book and like figuring out what I would talk about, I was like, I'm not going to get into zombies <laughs> because that's like that deserves its own book. It's a whole other can of worms. I'm not going to go there. And then as The Walking Dead became this phenomenon, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I have to talk about it because this is the narrative of our times. Um, and what's really interesting is so you've got The Walking Dead, which I'm assuming most people know the basic concept behind. Yeah. And then I don't know. If, do you watch The Strain? Uh, I, it's on a network that I don't get FX, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> but I saw like the pilot of it. It, lo- it looked pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is the parallels between The Strain, The Strain's latest season, and where this latest season of iZombie seems like it's going. Really? Um, and I'm not saying like no one's ripping each other off because it's different, but basically in the strain we're in, it's kind of like new Seattle, but it's in New York. So it's like new New York and it's being run and controlled by the Strigoi, which are the like zombie slash uh, vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like, what does this new city look like once the evil people have taken control and in the strain, it's kind of, I mean, in, in, um, I zombie, it's also like, well, what does it look like now that the, the zombie outbreak has happened and we're trying to create some sort of quote unquote civilized society. Um, and so it's really interesting to me that we've got that and we have, you know, the walking dead and like when they had the, the season about Alexandria and again, it was like, how do we recreate this semblance of normality in this sort of post-apocalyptic dystopia? And so it's like, why are we so drawn to this narrative? Last Man on Earth is another example. Um, and what I get at in the book is there are a couple different things. So one is that zombies always sort of respond. They become like this cipher for contemporary fears and anxieties. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is like when zombies were first kind of born in Haiti, it was about slavery and oppressive capitalism and this notion that your miserable life as a slave was going to continue for all eternity, like even after you died, you were going to continue being a slave. Hmm. Um, and then in the 1950s, it's all about fears of like aliens and mind control and Russians and all that stuff. Go you know, body I mean, snatchers. Exactly. Yeah. And even in Night of the Living Dead, it comes from outer space, right? So it's like the threat is outer space. And then starting with um, the Resident Evil video game in 96 and 28 days later in 2002, it became all about infection. Right. So then we start getting this idea of like the zombie virus, which mm. I zombie does the most amazing things with that. Um, and then it's all this fear of like, what would the end of the world look like? And I think part of it is this kind of fetishization of like survivalist narratives where like men can be men again. <laughs> and we don't have to worry about such silly things like your mortgage payment and your cable bill and like taking the kids to soccer practice. It's like all you have to think about is survival. Right. right. Um, and then violence is not only justified, but it's essential. You know, and The Walking Dead had that. Um, I forget all the characters names, but they had the character who was like the preacher who didn't want to kill zombies because he was like a pacifist. And everybody was t- telling him, like, you're a liability. Like, right. if you're going to refuse to kill zombies, that's not only going to put your life in danger, that's putting our life in danger. Right. So I think 
And we see this with the people's response to, you know, the possibility of having their guns taken away. You know, it's like, oh, my God, we love our guns. (laughs) And it's like, what do you really need these guns for unless there's going to be a zombie apocalypse? (laughs) Right. I mean, like, what is the ordinary person going to do with a semi-automatic? Um, it's either so Red think, Dawn or zombies, basically. <laughs> exactly. No, no, totally. And so I think there's this kind of romanticizing of, like, what would happen when all the nonsense goes away, you know, and life just becomes about survival and being a man. And that's why I think the the similarities between um, Rick on The Walking Dead and, like, cowboys, you know, is not coincidental. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's this idea of, like, man is going to be man again and rugged and on a horse and... So I think life is just so like overwhelming and full of so much white noise that even though we don't want to be overtaken by zombies, we're also kind of like, yeah, that might be rad, you know, <laughs> like that I could shoot my gun, I could kill the zombies and I wouldn't have to worry about paying my phone bill. So I think that's part of it. And then also that zombies are reflecting kind of contemporary anxieties. Mm-hmm. Like staring at phones. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's why Shaun of the Dead is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea that, you know, we're all the, the individual agency, right, is mm-hmm. just eroding. You know, like it's like we, there's this feeling like, oh, one person can't make a difference. We're all part of the machine. You know, we're all part of this network. We're all just like a blip of numbers and a database or whatever. Um, and so I think zombies really speak to a lot of what's going on right now. Yeah. Speaking of Shaun of the Dead, I was wondering, like in your research, I'm sure you've watched a lot of zombie movies. What was your favorite to just kind of dig into and analyze? What would you get most out of? Um, Shaun of the Dead is brilliant. Mm. I, I, in the book, just in the interests of my own sanity, I tried to limit myself to American film and TV Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of have a sort of manageable scope. But I couldn't not talk about Shaun of the Dead and I couldn't not talk about 28 Days Later because they were so kind of pivotal in the zombie timeline. Um, But in terms of American zombie movies, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm, Yeah. Um, Great opening. (laughs) um, Oh, it's funny. I actually I show that opening in my class. Like like I, I keep pushing pause. So we can, you know, really sort of unpack it because there's so much in that opening. But yeah, that movie is really well done. And like I sat down expecting it to be like, oh, another zombie movie. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting and really good, which is ironically the same response that I had when I finally sat down to watch I Zombie. Because mm-hmm. I think I thought it was going to be sort of like Warm Bodies, um, yeah. which I didn't really like. And so I sat down to watch I Zombie kind of as a chore. Like I was like, OK, I need to watch it for my book. And then I was like. <laughs> Oh my God! Wow, this show is amazing. <laughs> so I would say *I Zombie* and *Dawn of the Dead* both um, were pleasant surprises. Awesome. <clears throat> um, yeah, we should definitely talk about some *I Zombie*. Um, what do you think uh, about like how different this show is compared to others, like *The Walking Dead*? Like, I, I when this show came out, I mean, the title unfortunately is is a problem, but it, they, yeah. they got it from the comic book, so it does kind of turn right. people off. You have to explain to them, eh, just watch the show. I know it's *I Zombie*, whatever. It sounds like iPods, but. <clears throat> and also the fact that this is yet another zombie thing. But uh, right. what, what about it do you think uh, really attracted you the most? Oh, my God. Well, again, so I was I was one of those people who had to be convinced to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started watching it. And I, one of the things that, that – well, so one of the things that struck me the most was the character of Liv Moore. Mm. 
and how Liv Moore, I think, is one of the most complex and interesting female characters on TV today, period. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, I mean, I watch, you know, I love, you know, female-driven programming, like I love Scandal and all that stuff. But the thing about Liv Moore that really blew me away, and I feel like the the case of the week, brain of the week, whatever you want to call it, um, plot device works really well in allowing her to have this really complex and nuanced character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it, maybe like in The Good Wife with Alicia Florrick, you've got this, a sort of sense of like a well-rounded character. But most women on TV, I feel like it's two-dimensional, maybe 2.5. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like it's a very, like it's the same. Like I love Olivia Benson on Law & Order SVU, right? Mm-hmm. But she's the same person in season 16 as she is in season two. Right. I mean, that people right. there's a, a reassurance to the fact that, oh, Olivia Benson's always going to be Olivia Benson. Mm-hmm. But with Liv Moore, what's so amazing is not only the, the plot device that she basically gets to take on other people's characteristics each week, which allows her to be this like really complex character, which is like we are in real life. I mean, it's like I'm not going to be the same person on Tuesday as I was on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like that's just reality. Yeah. Um, so I find that to be fascinating. And then. I also was really drawn, and they they emphasized this a lot in the first couple episodes, maybe even, I think it was actually a through line in the whole first season, that she's actually liberated by becoming a zombie. And she, like, keeps talking about this in in her, like, monologues, where Mm -hmm. she's talking about how she had this, like, really kind of predictable life, and she was going to do A, and then B, and then C, and she was going to get married to a major and have a career as a doctor, and everything was, like, by the book. And being a zombie actually, like, loosened her up and gave her the freedom to try alternate career paths and alternate, like, personal paths and stuff like that. And I I feel like that we don't see. Like, normally it's like someone becomes a zombie and it's they lose individuality, right? Yeah. And so the fact that she is kind of liberated by this horrible thing that happens to her and that it allows her this all this this wealth of opportunity to me that just blew my mind like i was like oh my god that is really interesting mm-hmm. yeah i like that we and, get um zombies who eat brains and that the brains cause quirks you know right but the lack of brains turns them into that uh what they right. I think they call romeros on the show because right. it's night of the yeah. living dead right no, this, it's that's what to me was so smart mm-hmm. was just because I feel like that you don't see anywhere else. This idea that becoming a zombie actually opens up a world of opportunity for you. Yeah. So what did you think overall of the season premiere? Like how much the show has changed from season three to season four? Well, so my first reaction when I started watching season four was, oh, my God, I got to go back and rewatch season three because I don't <laughs> remember what's going on. Um, so I went back and I watched a bunch of episodes from the beginning of season three and then the end of season three, just to Mm -hmm. kind of remind myself. Um, I think it's really interesting how this show doesn't get complacent. Like it would be so easy for it to be this kind of formulaic narrative where everything kind of stays the same. And then there's just, you know, case of the week, um, like that TV show monk, uh, if you ever watched it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's like the quirky detective who solves different cases. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that the show just keeps pushing it and taking it to, like, new levels. Um, and I also love that it operates on so many levels. Like, it's just so many levels, and it's so, like, thoughtful. And I was listening to um, your podcast response to the, the, the premiere, and you were talking about, like, the zombie racism 
Yeah. Um, and I just, I find that so interesting. And one of the things that this show has sort of done from, from day one, almost it's, you know, comparing being a zombie to having some kind of, um, you know, like long-term illness, mm -hmm. uh, like you guys were talking about, um, you know, like, like herpes or chicken pox or something that like, you know, periodically right. flares up. And I know I, I asked Rob at one point, about this, like, what was the sort of motivation to kind of crafting it this way? And he said that the similarities to HIV are not accidental, but that's mm. definitely what they're thinking about in the writer's room and what's it like to live with HIV and how do you reinvent intimacy when you have this kind of a contagious disease and what's it like living with something where on the surface you might seem healthy, but on the inside you're not. And to me, that's just always been one of the things that the show does really well. And so incorporating this level of like racism and stigma and, you know, because up until now, people didn't, you know, you, you didn't know people were zombies or, you know, most people didn't know. Right. And so I think that the, it, it's really it's opened up so many different directions that season four can go, which is both exciting and a little overwhelming. <laughs> you know, as I was watching it and I was just like, oh, my God, I can't keep track of all the subplots. <laughs> Um, but I think that's probably great for the writers if they, they keep pushing it, you know, like they don't, they don't, they're not taking the easy way out. Like it would be so easy to just, you know, be very predictable. And, um, so I respect that and I hope that, you know, they can keep kind of sustaining it and people keep watching it and, yeah, I, and then, and then Logan, we got Logan. Yes. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is so fun. Um, so that, that one big stars for me too. <laughs> Well, uh, it's interesting, you know, you see how stressed he is because mm -hmm. his outfit is in charge and he didn't, you know, he wasn't expecting to be uh, in charge of a walled off community, you know. Right. Um, but, but uh, you know, establishing laws um, and thinking about things really, you know, thinking them through because, you know, zombies, they'll scratch people and they'll turn into mm -hmm. more zombies, but that means there's less food. But yeah, right. yeah and then. You know, I know there's going to be an upcoming plot line where uh, the black market, like probably Blaine, obviously, uh, yeah. sneaking people in to get scratched because they're termini terminally ill, which is another interesting. Oh, twist wow. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. Then we have. I mean, I, to me, if I was a writer on this show, I'd be feeling really overwhelmed <laughs> because you're, you're really world building. You know, it's not mm -hmm. just like, oh, here's everyday life and we just add a couple quirky elements. It's like they're really creating this whole new society. And yeah. it's just like, oh, my God, where are you going to go with this? And hopefully we'll be able to see the, all the different elements from it, from this huge cast that we have, you know, because right. we see the military, the police. Uh, I know there's so much going on. Like it was I can't remember if it was you or Steph, but someone was saying how the case of the week got kind of overshadowed a little bit yeah. in the first episode. Which I agree with, you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm OK with that. I'm just like, I hope it doesn't become this like unwieldy monster where they have like 15 different subplots and like. How do they kind of keep everything going at the same time? Yeah, because they changed the entire city, and it, it is a little, right. it's a little uh, it's a little scary to think that you know uh, how are they going to make sure that we know what's going on in the, you know around in the city and not just you know it used to right. be just Liv's world and what's going on exactly with Liv. now exactly. it's an entire city that's a yeah I love the uh, new police procedures the how they do oh, the yeah. blood pressure and there's the fact that's that amazing everybody knows that. There's zombies. So, like, there's the knowledge of a, guy, a cop and a white-haired lady come to your door. That white-haired lady probably ate, like, your husband's brain. <laughs> right. And, so and how much of that is in the comic? 
Uh, not at all. I mean, really, okay. nothing. It's so far from the comic at this point. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I thought. I mean, I know early on, I I got a bunch of the comics and and read them just to kind of see where the show was diverging. And so I thought this was all new terrain. Yeah, it goes so, yeah, extremely supernatural in the in the okay. comics, and uh, like you know, there's ghosts and weird terriers and mummies. It's nothing like the show at this point. Right. Um, it's just really interesting to see to see this, and then there's this, as I said, the season four of the strain, mm-hmm. and then the premise is also very similar. There was a, a show actually it was on CW. I forgot about this. There was a show called Containment. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. That was in 2016. It was kind of a disaster. I mm-hmm. think it ended up being, it was supposed to be like a regular series, and then it became like a limited series, and maybe there were like nine episodes, eight episodes. Like, it, it really kind of crashed and burned. But the the concept behind it was, again, in Atlanta, there's an outbreak, and so you, they, like, build a wall, and so everyone is sort of quarantined within the wall, even if you're infected or not infected. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a similar kind of idea where it's like what happens if you have a quarantine in the 21st century. Um, but I think I zombies just they're handling it in this way that feels kind of effortless because it's sort of like this dark comedy. But it's like, oh, yeah, there are like 85 different plot points going on. And then like with the, the, the kid soldiers and like what's happening with like people are starving because they can't get the brains. Yeah. And it's just like. Oh my God! There's so much going on. Like, what's going to happen in episode two? <laughs> I, I guarantee New Seattle is going to explode in some way by the end of this season. Yeah, because it's just so many factors: the the, the zombie racism, the the people right. being kicked out, people being turned into zombies, and not knowing what to do. We got Angus and his little. Oh my God! What's like? Is he a prophet <laughs> now? Is he just completely gone crazy? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's gone crazy, but it's weird. He. I, I'm not sure if he thinks his son is a is a god or what. No, that that whole sequence is utterly bizarre. And then I don't know what's going on with Peyton and I want to say Deacon, but that's not his name. Oh, the new guy, Derek. Yeah. Like what's I don't know what's going on with that plot point and the mayor. Like that's another kind of B plot. Right. And there's just all this tension. I, like Clive says in like the second scene, I think that you know. No big deal. Somebody's going to nuke us any day now. So it's, right. none of this really matters. So, yeah, there's just so much going on. The classism, the rich versus the poor. It's really, yeah. really interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could talk for like six hours. Like, I feel like I could, <laughs> there's so much to unpack. Uh-huh. And like, what's going on with Major that he wanted to become a zombie again? Can you explain that? Uh, I think it was after. Uh, his uh, friends in Fillmore Graves and Natalie got blown up in that house. Right. Like he was, right. he was a human. And then he realized like he's, he's so pissed off. He doesn't want to be a human anymore because. Okay. Uh, Harley Johns and his anti zombie people. Right. Blew it up. Or actually he just did it himself. I, yeah. I just didn't know if it was like he, because he couldn't get a job and he just kind of felt lost without that structure or if it was yeah. like a vengeance kind of thing. I think it was a mix totally of the both because okay. yeah, he couldn't, he, he had no, pl- I mean, he went back to Fillmore Graves to work as a human, even though right. <laughs> he really shouldn't because, you know, they're getting shot left and right, even by their own people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that whole, with that whole subplot and the the kids and everything. Like, yeah, there's just, a, they could go in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Ravi's unique situation? Uh, like, the, I've never seen a were zombie before, but this is as close to where zombie is. As uh, I'm, I'm very curious also to see kind of where it goes, um, because I don't want it to become 
this like you know one dimensional kind of joke. Mm-hmm. Like, what what are they going to do with like that? He he has like these flare ups like once a month, um, which is just a hilarious concept. Uh-huh. Um, but I wonder what's going to happen with the cure and the vaccine, and like, is he going to kind of keep working on it? Is his condition ever going to improve? Is his condition going to get worse? You know, like maybe he'll start having flare ups more often. But I also liked when he wasn't when he was kind of like the straight man, mm-hmm. you know, to like all these crazy people around him. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I have mixed feelings. Yeah. I mean, I like I like that they were able like, it was funny what they did, but I have mixed feelings on like where it's going to go. Like it might be too much. As long as it's not in every episode, I, you know, yeah. they made it seem like a 70, 72 hours a month. So maybe we'll get it every three or four episodes. Right. So, yeah. Some people think, like, I think my co-host included, like, they want to have their cake and eat it too a bit with that, yeah. that. No, I know. Like, you can't, like, and again, there's so much going on that it's just like, calm down, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and they brought Basio back in, and now there's that you know, like you're, like you were saying, the intimacy factor that Liv and right. Major have now had, uh, and now Clive and Basio have the same thing. And is right. Basio going to end up turning Clive into a zombie because he loves her so much? I don't know. Yeah, because I feel like they you don't want everybody to be a zombie no. because I feel like then you lose part of the magic of the show. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't know if you, you wanted to talk about anything else about the show before we wrap things up. Uh, no, I just thought it was really interesting how they're doing the whole the whole flu vaccine conspiracy. Yeah. Um, that really kind of blew me away. Um, and I like how the show um, again. I forget everybody. Johnny Frost. Yeah. Is that his name? Like, yep. the, like I just I like how they keep bringing in these people that like you've forgotten about and then they show up and then like now he's a zombie. Like, where is that going to go? And like, you don't know, like well, maybe Johnny, he won't I'm sure come... a very gross direction. <laughs> right. But it's like, is he going to come back in like episode five? Like you just, I feel like the writers are so good at that at like kind of leaving these little things that they revisit later. Yeah. Um, and then it'll become like an essential part of episode five. <laughs> uh, so I just, I love that. I love the show. I think it's, it's so smart. Um, I feel like Peyton got a bit lost uh, in the first episode, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to see where she goes. Because again, it's like they're they're juggling so many different plot lines, and now they have so many different characters. That it's, I just hope it doesn't, you know, become too chaotic. Yeah, but I hope so too. I have faith in Rob. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, Dahlia Schweitzer, for coming onto our podcast. Do you want to tell of our listeners course. the uh, title of your book again, and maybe where they can find it? Where they can find sure. you? Sure. Um, it's called Going Viral, Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World. Um, and iZombie is a, a crucial part of my zombie chapter. And you can find the book really anywhere. But mm-hmm. if you go to goingviralbook.com, um, you can see a little video of me talking about it. Uh, and you can read a little bit more about the book. So it's goingviralbook.com, or you can just search for Going Viral, Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World. Cool. And uh, do you want anybody to contact you on Twitter or anything like that? Sure. Yeah. No, people are always, I love chatting with people. So people can contact me on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, my website is thisisdalia.com. Uh, so they can go to my website. Um, Twitter, I've got Dahlia Destiny uh, and also Going Viral Book are both mine because my publicist was like, you should have a Going Viral Twitter. I mean, yeah. I don't really, I think it's a little bit redundant. But yeah, they can, you can contact me wherever you find me. <laughs> Cool. And Rob Thomas has recommended the book on his Twitter. That's a, pretty much how we got uh, we we heard of each other. So yeah, and he 
he has a going viral t-shirt which awesome. i keep asking him to take a picture of wearing himself wearing it but i haven't seen that yet but <laughs> no i'm a big fan and actually it's funny because i have a, a joke now that all my academic work comes back to rob because my next book talks about um private detectives in los angeles oh and Un- totally unex- unplanned by me, Veronica Mars ends up becoming like a huge part in that book. So yeah, a little detour I was like, to San Diego, right? Or wait, no, it's uh, Neptune. Well, it's Neptune, yeah. but it's interesting. I talk. I mean, there's there's problematic elements about Veronica Mars, but the, the mm-hmm. character of Veronica Mars as this sort of female child private investigator is so fascinating that it ended up becoming like a major part in kind of like the last quarter of my book. So I was like, hi, Rob, it's me again. I've got more questions. It's just a different show this time. Um, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if you ever do a Veronica Mars podcast, we can chat about that too. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robin Yero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, a friend of the show, Cheyenne, contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombieLove. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!